morning. Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you again. See you if you arrived um, since I last said hello. Week two of looking at Psalms of Lament. If you're musically minded, these are psalms in a minor key. If you're not musically minded, they are, they're sad psalms. They're psalms when the person praying it or the people praying it are in real distress and they are crying out to God. Let me pray just once again and then we'll look at this one together. Father God, we thank you for the variety and depth of your word, for the variety and depth of these psalms. Thank you they speak to all occasions in so many different topics of life. Father, please, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would show us uh, how these words written so long ago relate to us and how we can make them our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty obvious, isn't it? But suffering isn't easy. Suffering isn't nice. When uh, in your workplace lets you go. When the body's not getting better after weeks, if you're in a dark place with your mental health, when a loved one strays and goes off the rails, suffering is not easy, it's not nice. For Christians, we go through all those things as well, but on top of that, there are times when he doesn't seem to be doing the things we would expect and hope he would do. He is a sovereign God. He's in control of everything. He's a loving God towards his people especially. And sometimes actually being faithful to him rather than preventing harm actually seems to bring more upon us. For example, when you, you make that stance uh, and you, you boldly sp- seek to speak of Jesus to someone and instead of the warmth and the openness that you were desperately praying for, you get mockery, maybe even anger. Suffering's not easy, it's not nice. God, God, what is going on? Sometimes it can feel like God is asleep. It has been the cry of God's people all the way through, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Why are you not doing anything about the situation we're in? That is the cry of the people in this psalm. If you, if you look down towards the end of verse 23, uh, sorry, 20, yes, 23. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Now, there are times when actually it's very obvious why things are happening to us. When actually we've done something stupid or wrong or bad or whatever, and there's direct consequences and we can see that. But sometimes, as far as we can tell, we've we've been faithful to God, and yet, Instead of being faithful, keeping us from pain, it might have even led to the pain. And we cry, why? Why, Lord? Last week, the question uh, that we, in Psalm 13 that we looked on was, how long? How long is this going on for? Today's question is, why? Last week's psalm was an individual crying out. Today's is the people of God as a whole crying out. And as we look at this psalm together... We're not really going to be given the answer to the why. Why is this happening? It's hinted at. But what we are going to be uh, shown is is how 
we can respond when that does happen, how and, where, and how we can, um, yeah, how we can deal with those things. You can see again, I've broken, well, the, the psalm's broken up into three. Um, the first section, verses one to eight, we're going to see the first thing to do is recount God's love in the past. Recount God's love in the past. I'll have that one up on the screen as well. If, psalm, if verses 1 to 8 just appeared by themselves, it would not be a psalm of lament. It would be a lovely psalm of thanksgiving. In verses 1 to 3, God, um, he's recounting God's goodness to previous generations. It, it particularly, it's talking about the time when God's, uh, God's people conquered and then settled in the promised land. And this generation, they've heard all about it. If you look down at verse 1, Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. It's been passed down from generation to generation. What deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations. But them, that is the people of God, you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. And why did he do that? Verse 3. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face. Now, if you ask a seven-year-old today, how strong are you? They do. They're going to do this, aren't they? You know, flexing their biceps. Well, we see here that actually this victory of the people wasn't because of the strength of their own biceps. It was the strength of God. It was by his right hand and arm. Poetical ways of saying it's, this is God's power and intervention. But why ultimately, so why did God do this? That very last line of verse 3, for you delighted in them. You loved them. You treasured them. These were your people. And so you brought them these great victories. You settled them in the promised land. God of his own free choice set his love on Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants on the people of God. He delighted in them. And the psalmist has heard all about that in the past. But it's not just past generations. In verses 4 to 8, we find the people of this generation, as well as the generation that was um, being written, we find the people of that generation affirming their trust in the same God and remembering his love to them. So verse 4, you are my king, O God. You're not just the king of Moses and of Joshua and the generations back there. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob, description of God's people. You, that God who delighted in your people back then, well, you're my king too. And he remembers God saving them, that generation, in other deliverances. And again, the question of, well, why would he do that? Have a look at verse 6. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually. You see, in love, God dealt with those past generations graciously. And this generation is trusting in the same God. And then do you see where recounting God's past love to previous generations and to them, where does it take them? Last line of verse 8. And we will give thanks to your name forever. Having looked at the past, he, the, the psalmist briefly looked at the future and say, we will give thanks to you forever. 
forever. Time and again through the Psalms, as I said last week, I'll probably say next week, I don't know. But time and again through the Psalms, we see God's people remembering the past to give confidence for trust for the future. And for us too, when in times of trouble and difficulty and pain, recount God's love in the past. Now, I guess if you're kind of critically minded or cynical, I guess you might say, well, isn't that just a kind of psychological trick, isn't it? Like kind of a trick to get God off the hook now. Why is he not doing well? Okay, he's been doing stuff in the past, and that will help you get through. But no, actually, we look back to real, historical, and experienced truths. Every single Christian has a rich history of God's love and faithfulness. We look back not so, only to the Old Testament and all those deliverances and rescues there, uh, but we look to the Lord Jesus most clearly as he came and died for his people, bringing forgiveness and life. And we look through the rest of the, the New Testament and seeing again the, the various and rich ways in which that love is shown to his people. And then we look to our lives, that initial conversion, that time when he rescued us from death to life. He, he brought salvation. And numerous times since of God's love and the different ways he's shown that to us. Every single Christian has a whole catalogue of God's faithfulness and love to go back to. That's where we have to turn. Lovely little psalm, that, isn't it? It'd be quite nice to stop there. Spend the rest of our time there. God's gracious work in the past, for the people of the past, reaffirmed by the people of the day, they're committing to, to praise and give thanks to him forever. Uh, and just last week, remember, I said that these uh, Psalms of Lament, they, they change on the words like yet and but. Well, so this psalm does in the opposite direction. Second thing we're to do, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean here, is, is recognize the pattern for God's people. Recognize the pattern for God's people and have a look down at verse 9 and see how it changes. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have taken spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbours, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. I'll stop there. God has not gone out fighting with their armies. They've lost. They've been beaten. They've had spoil taken from them. The people are scattered. They've been brought into slavery. They're the object of scorn. You count it up if you want. Twelve things. Twelve things that had happened for them. And it's, in one sense, we can e read them fairly dispassionately here. But imagine the scene that they are depicting. The nation, the people of God, there they are. And there are bodies on the battlefields. Loved ones don't come home. People are taken into slavery. Life as they know it has changed. And it is not the result of a stronger enemy. Here's the real kicker. Did you notice what comes at the beginning of all of those verses that I just read? 
Verse 9, but you. Verse 10, you. You, 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 you. Yes, yes, there was an enemy nation involved. Yes, they were active and they were responsible. But ultimately, this was God's doing. Just as he was in control when he brought them into the promised land, so he is in control now as they're getting decimated. And as a result, verse 15 and 16, disgrace, shame. The people are a laughing stock. To God's people, it feels like God has rejected them. If you were to look at them, look at the appearances of them, you would say God has rejected his people. But again, here's the real kicker. Here's the thing that, in a sense, makes it even worse. Verse 17. All of this has come upon us, though we had not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. God's covenant promises to the people of God were very clear. If you're faithful to me, if you listen and obey my words, you can look at this in Deuteronomy 28 if you want to look at it later. If you, if you obey me and walk with me, well then my love will be upon you. I'll bring you victories from the enemy and many, many, many other things. If though you don't obey me, if you reject me and turn your back upon me, well then I won't go out with your armies. You're going to be defeated and various other things too. And here... The psalmist is saying, Lord, we had not forgotten you. We hadn't been false to your covenants. We've been faithful. And yet you have done these things to us. This is really rare in the Old Testament. So often through the Old Testament, the, the writers, they draw us a direct line from the people's sin, their rebellion against God, and this coming upon them. But here there is no line. They're saying they haven't sinned. They've been faithful. Verse 18, it goes on. And our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you've broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. This is a really bold declaration of, in of innocence. They're not, they're not saying they've been perfect. But they say, look, Lord, we've done nothing to warrant what has happened here. No, there's no, been no great turning away from God. In verse 20, that they appeal to God himself. If we had forgotten the name of God or spread out our hands to foreign gods, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. This disaster and this feeling being rejected by God is not because they've been unfaithful to God. In fact, the one hint we get at why this has come upon them, it's the opposite. It's because they have been faithful to God. Verse 22, yet for your sake. So if we, we haven't turned our back on you. We haven't uh, turned to foreign gods. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's the opposite. It's because they're God's people. It's because they have been faithful to God that these things are coming upon them. Let's, let's just step back a second and put a few of the, the pieces of the puzzle of, of what we've covered so far together. 
Verses 1 to 3, God delighted in the people of old, and so he settled them in the nation. He loved them, so he put them there. Verses 4 to 8, the people of God trusting in that same God and have been faithful to him, and so he has blessed, no, he hasn't blessed them with these things. No, it seems like he's rejected them. As we've already seen, the people cry out, why? Why, Lord? Why have you rejected us when, you're, when you were faithful to your people in the past, and we've been faithful to you now, but it, t- it seems like you've turned your face away? <coughs> It is an important truth of the Bible that we see again and again is that God does not operate on this do good, get good, do bad, get bad principle. Psalm 44 is like the corporate version of the book of Job. The book of Job, you have this individual who's not turned his back on God and yet total calamity comes upon him. Psalm 44, we see this the same as a nation. This so-called teaching that says, actually, with God, you are going to be promised all kinds of blessing, peace, riches, wealth, health, and all those things, is just simply not true. Actually, following Jesus may well make life harder. It will make life harder. If we are suffering here this morning, as hard as it is to hear and with all the questions that come with it, God is permitting it to happen. How can we be sure of that? Well, it is the pattern of God's people. In fact, the starting point, if you, well, not starting point, but if you think back to Jesus himself, Jesus who was perfect in every single way, who never turned his back on God's, was utterly faithful in absolutely everything. And what happened to him? He got nailed to a cross. We've been looking at the book of Luke, haven't we? And just at, the, uh, just at the end of last year, and in those last few weeks, we saw Jesus saying again and again, I am going to go and be handed in, to the, given into the hands of men who are going to kill me. That is Jesus' path. And his path became the pattern of God's people. He said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, uh, deny, deny themselves, take up his cross and follow me. His path became his people's pattern. And we, thousands of years later, walk that same path. And his suffering isn't proof that we're doing something wrong. Actually, it's often the proof that we're doing something right. Now, this doesn't stop God's people lamenting in these times. It hurts. It's a struggle to make sense. It doesn't feel right. We cry out, why? As we're seeing through these psalms, it is right to come to God with those cries of distress. It is right to cry out to him and lay out the complaints. How we do so is important. And the final, our final point this morning is remember his steadfast love. Remember his steadfast love. So we've already seen that the psalmist starts by recounting God's good deeds of the old and um, of his love to that nation and saving them as well. 
We saw that he ended that section by saying, we will give thanks, in the end of verse 8, we will give thanks to your name forever. And here now, having laid out that utter distress and devastation they're in, yet they are still trusting in God. Because we see even while they are questioning God, they are calling to him to act. They, they ask him to rise up and act. Have a look again down at verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? These are actually interesting. The, the same complaints as we saw last week in, verse, uh, in uh, Psalm 13. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction. Why have you forgotten us? Why have you turned your face away? Why does it feel, why are you sleeping? Verse 25, for our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Lord, act, do something about this, save us. And they are crying out to him, you know, it's, it's a bit like kind of trying to wake up the teenager. To them, that's what it feels like. Wake up the teenager, Lord, rise up, wake up. Of course, he's not sleeping. That's what it feels like to them. And you see, though, the, the basis for their confidence, the basis for them calling on God to act. First, the last bit of verse 26. Redeem us... For the sake of your steadfast love. For the sake of your steadfast love. That is the confidence for their plea. The love that they saw displayed to God's people way back when is the same love that they appeal to here. It's that, such that important word. It's that word hesed, covenant committed love. Lord, save us because you are committed in love to us. In your Bibles, if you would come with me, um, and you don't need to keep the place, because um, we're going to finish up here. Please take a turn with me to the New Testament, to Ro Romans chapter 8. It's page 1138. 1138. Because we find um, the words of uh, Psalm 44, verse 22 quoted. And it's interesting to see uh, the context that it comes in. First off, let me read verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the foundation of the pillar. God, in the past has given us the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came and sacrificed himself for his people to save us. And if God has given us his son in the past, that's the greatest thing he could possibly give, confidence for the future, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all things that we need going forward? Uh, but then just skip on to verse 35, and we find this list of things that come upon God's people throughout history. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or swords? All those things have come, across, come upon God's people, and indeed still do. All those things that were going on then. Shall any of them separate us from the love of God, Christ? Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? No. Are any of those things a sign that actually Christ's love has abandoned us and turned away? No. No, none of these things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because of his steadfast love. He has given us his son. He will also give us everything else that we truly need. So when we have times of distress and trouble and difficulty and when we can see no obvious sin that has caused and linked to it, when it hurts, what do we do? What can I do in that pain? Well, Psalm 44 says that cry out to him. Be honest with him, but cry out to him and ask him to intervene. Suffering is hard, isn't it? It's not nice. It can be even worse when it's a result of being faithful to God when we feel like he should stop it. Being, but what do we do in those times where well, we recount God's love in the past? We reflect on his love to the people right through the Bible and to, to ourselves as well. We recognize that actually this is the pattern of his people. The Lord, it was the Lord Jesus' path and it was the pattern that he called his people to and we remember his steadfast love that nothing can separate us from. Let's pray. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Father, such confident words said in the midst of such pain and trouble for the people. Yet because of your steadfast love, it is possible to say those things. Father, please, would they be our words too? Please, Father, in the distress and pain and difficulty, would we be quick to turn to you, to, to call out, to lay out our concerns and our pain? But please, through that pain, would there be that note of hope and that note of trust and that note of praise? In Jesus' name, amen. amen.